Welcome to the Central Baptist Church Podcast. Located in the heart of Victoria, BC, we are a church that seeks to renew our community through the gospel. For more information, visit centralbaptistchurch.ca. The scripture reading is 1 Peter 3, 13 to 17. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. This is the word of the Lord. All right, as has been mentioned, today we are going to begin a new series. It's going to be in Genesis chapters 1 to 3. It is going to take us right up to Easter, and I think including Easter, I'm still deciding. Uh, And I'm calling this series, The Story That Makes Sense of Our Stories. And today really is an introduction, and I'm going to get right to it. I want to talk about three things today. First of all, I want to talk about the story that we find ourselves in. Then secondly, once we talked about that, the story that we have rejected. And then finally, the story that does make sense of our stories. And so what we're going to do is we're going to reflect on Peter's words. We'll get to Genesis 1 to 3 in the weeks to come. But today, I actually want to stay with the Apostle Peter. And today, I'm even going to do things a little differently than I normally do. Normally, we get right into the passage of Scripture. But because today is an introduction to the overall series, we're going to get to the words. But I actually want to set up some thoughts to do with our own culture here today and the culture that Peter is writing into, which are very similar in many ways. And then once we eventually get to Peter's words, I'm trusting and praying that they will have the impact that Peter and inspired by the Holy Spirit intends for them to have within our lives today. All right. So I've had a few weeks off of preaching. I'm rested. I am ready to go. Are you ready for a new series? Giddy up. Let's do it. Let's start off by talking in the first place then about this. The story we find ourselves in. The story we find ourselves in. Here's what I want to talk about here. In the, for, since the beginning of the human history, human beings have always told stories. We love stories. To be human is to tell stories. We're always doing it. You tell the story of your day. We tell giant stories. We read stories. Since the beginning of human history, we have always done this. And we tell stories, by and large, to make sense of human existence, of the reality of the story that we find ourselves in. We tell stories to help us understand where we came from, why we're here, how we're supposed to live, how we think our kids should be living, uh, what's wrong with the world, to make sense of things, and maybe if there's any hope of anything that can be done about what's wrong with the world. We all can imagine our ancestors sitting around fires telling uh, stories. We do that when we go camping still. Maybe kind of funny ghost stories and things like that. But do not make a mistake. Just because we now live in a scientific and technologically advanced society, it does not mean that somehow stories were only part of what people did way back in history when they sat around campfires. No, far from it. I think 
this should be probably almost obvious to all of us, we have only increased our storytelling with science and technology. From the invention of the printing press and books going out to the world to our modern day with, of course, the movies, the shows, everything that we watch nowadays, that we use our technology and our scientific understanding to create things like special effects for all the Marvel superhero movies or whatever it is uh, that people are watching nowadays. Stories have only increased. We love stories. We love telling stories. We love listening and watching stories. These stories are not all just for entertainment either. Even the most entertaining stories almost always are trying in some way to make sense of or to comment on the reality that we all find ourselves in. Even the, the Marvel superhero movies. I mean, obviously things that are fantasy and all these kind of things, but they're always dealing with issues like what does it mean to be human? How do we fight powers greater than ourselves? How do we navigate relationships? How do we be wise in our world? Even all of these movies are enabling us to make sense of the reality that we find ourselves in. So stories are absolutely everywhere, from the big stories of the universe down to how you tell the story of your day to someone maybe after dinner. Think of even maybe the most basic level of where we tell stories. Think, for instance, of a car commercial. When you watch a car commercial, you're not, you're not going to watch a car commercial where on the screen two Excel spreadsheets come up with all the data and numbers of one car and its competitor car, and then all co the whole commercial is just comparing the Excel spreadsheets to try and argue at the end of the day that car A is better than car B. That is never how you sell a car, is it? Every commercial is a story, a mini story, and every car commercial is the same. Car commercials, generally speaking, are stories about how to live the good life. So one car commercial might be a story about if you drive this car, you are going to feel happy. If you drive this car, you will feel like you are prestigious and living a luxurious life. And of course, in the case of all the truck commercials, if you drive this car, you're going to feel like a real man. Huh, yeah. That's, that's the story of these commercials. And like every single story, though, out there, some stories are true, some stories really aren't true, and some stories you're kind of like, what are they trying to do to me with this story? So even think of a car commercial. We have a really funny story in our own family. When my son Tyler was probably around 10 years old, a car commercial was on the TV, and we all watched it, and it was just your typical car commercial, you know, guy driving in some beautiful landscape, voiceover, something to the effect of, Driving this car will lift your senses above reality. Driving this car will lift you to another world you've never been to before. Something, something along those kind of lines. The commercial ends, and Tyler laughs out loud, and he says, It's just a car. <laughs> so in other words, the 10-year-old saw right through it. He's like, you're telling me a story with this car commercial, but you're kind of overstating what this car is going to do for me, Right? So whenever we watch a car commercial nowadays, someone always in our family says, it's just a car. So from small little stories like car commercials to how you told the story of your day, all the way up to world religions and the whole way we define where the universe came from, all of these are stories that we tell to try to make sense of things. Now, with all that said, step back and just ponder on this foundational thought for this whole series right now. 
Every single one of us have been born into a gigantic story. I mean the story of the universe. That story began long before you and I ever arrived. Even within human history, that story has been going on. There have been many characters in this story. Many chapters have been written. Whole civilizations have been raised up and torn down, and whole other ones and whole other ones over centuries, over millennia. We then all of a sudden here in the, maybe you were born in the 20th century, some of you the 21st, we find ourselves now having been brought as characters into this gigantic story. It began long before we got here. We're here for a short little tiny page on the story. It's going to be here probably, who knows, Lord willing, who knows, long after we're gone. We're all part of this gigantic story of the universe. So here is the big question that we all must be able to answer. What is the story we find ourselves in? We found ourselves here. We didn't ask to be here. We just found ourselves in the middle of this gigantic story. But what is the story? What is the story of the universe? And of course, many answers have been given to that. And then what gets a little frustrating sometimes is these answers all can contradict one another. So just, just think of a few of the most, maybe uh, let me give some really broad, big versions of the story of the universe that some people believe. So the most common, probably in our society, we, may, we might just call it the secular story. The story would begin and say, once upon a time, there was nothing. Then the universe began, and then through a long period of ages, eventually human beings evolved. You are here now. Make the best of your very short period of time here on life. You are going to die eventually the whole universe is going to run out of energy and it is going to die. So that is a story. That's a story to understand the reality that we find ourselves in. Of course, that's very different and contradictory to what many of the Eastern peoples view as the story we find ourselves in. That story, some versions of it anyways would say, once upon a time there were millions of gods and we are here now today and time is not a linear thing that begins and ends. Time is like a wheel that goes around and around and you have been reincarnated after many lifetimes and been brought into this wheel of time and if you live your life rightly, you will eventually ascend up the cycles of reincarnation and maybe one day you'll break out to the cyclical wheel of time and you will attain nirvana. That is another story that people tell to make sense of this giant story that we find ourselves in. But it's very contradictory to the first secular story, isn't it? And then, of course, Christianity is another story that comes into all of this that claims also to be the true story of the universe. So when Peter wrote these words that we're going to look at in a few minutes, he wrote into what we would call nowadays a pluralistic culture. That is, a culture where people had many different viewpoints. They believed many different stories about the reality that we find ourselves in. Some of these were very contradictory. They were competing. They, they could not all be true. And Peter is writing into this kind of a culture, exactly like ours, a pluralistic culture, to tell the Christians there how they are to live within this pluralistic culture. So we, we all love stories. 
We find ourselves in the middle of a gigantic story, and the question we have to all be able to answer is, what is the story that we find ourselves in? Because here's the hard truth. As much as people like to say things like, well, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth, they don't, people believe that on certain things, but nobody really believes that on the big picture when it comes to some of these stories. There's such thing as true stories, and there's such thing as true stories that are not true. It's here probably that we have to fully agree with one of the most famous atheists in the world, the late Christopher Hitchens, when he wrote these words. He said, since all of these revelations, all these religious stories and all the stories of the world is what he's referring to, since all these revelations cannot by definition be simultaneously true, it must follow that some of them are false and illusory. They're illusions. You can't, they're not actually true. And I think we have to agree with them, don't we? I mean, God either exists or God does not exist. It can't be true for you and not true for me. There either is a God or there isn't a God. There either is life after death or there is no life after death. There is no what's true for you is true for me. There is something that's true out there. And so we have to be able then as human beings to find out what is this story that we find ourselves in. Most people, though, don't stop to consider the story that they actually believe. And I think probably the main reason why is that people don't actually think they believe a story. A scholar named Ian Provan puts it like this. They do not ask questions of their own story because they do not see it as a story. They see it simply as the way things are. The way things are. But that's not really true. We all have a story. We all have some version how we make sense of this gigantic story that we find ourselves in. And none of us really wants to be believing things that are not true. All of us have been shaped by our families, by the cultures we've been raised in, by the media uh, that we're a part of in our own culture. In other words, every single one of us believes a story about why things are the way they are and how we then should live. So the question then is, are we willing to examine the story that we believe? Because we, all, we, we should want to believe a true story. We don't, nobody, who wants to believe something that's not true? You're going to be, everybody knows you're heading down the wrong path. So that's what I want to do in this series as I'm introducing it now this morning. This is the big picture. What I want to do is to help us to examine the stories that we believe. And throughout this series, what I want to do is compare and to contrast stories that people believe about various subjects, like where we came from, or uh, human rights, or all these kind of things. I want to get all kind, very specific on uh, very specific topics, and examine and compare and contrast the stories, and ask ourselves, which story makes the best sense of the giant story that we find ourselves in? So, for instance... We all believe in right and wrong. Do you believe in right and wrong? <laughs> I hope you do. <laughs> we all believe it. What story makes the best sense of the fact that human beings everywhere believe in right and wrong? So we'll talk about that one and we'll compare and contrast various stories that people believe and say, which one makes the best sense of all this? We all believe that life has purpose 
You are continuing to live today. That assumes you believe you have some measure of purpose to your life. What story makes the best sense of the fact that all human beings live with a deep sense that our lives matter and that there is purpose to our existence? We know we came from somewhere. What story offers the best explanation for this or if we are alone in the universe or not? Or listen to this one. What story can best explain the fact that human beings can write beautiful songs that can make us weep tears of joy, that can build skyscrapers and send a man to the moon, and yet also why human beings tell lies, why governments kill their own people, and why evils and atrocities like the Holocaust happen? What story can best make sense of the greatness of humanity and the utter depravity of humanity? That's one we're going to look at. So here's what I've said so far. We've all been born into a gigantic story. But what is that story? Many answers have been given. They cannot all be true. And none of us wants to base our lives on things that are not true and especially don't want to base our, uh, our lives on lies. So what I want to invite us to do in this series, just as I'm introducing it today, is to examine the story that we believe in order that we might rightly understand this giant story that we have found ourselves in. So that's the first thing, just by way of introduction, the story we find ourselves in. Now let's shift gears a little bit, and in the second place, still building up to Peter's words, let's talk about this. The story we have rejected. The story we've rejected now, for the past, I'm going to make this is a pretty broad statement, but for the past 1,700 years or so, the Western world has largely believed that the story of the Bible, that is what we might call the Judeo-Christian story, has been, by and large, the, the story that most people have believed makes sense of this giant story that we find ourselves in. It is the giant story we find ourselves in. So, of course, this story says... God exists. He is a personal God. This God created everything that exists, including you and I. That human beings have value because we are all made in the image of God. That you were created on purpose. You are not an accident. That your life matters. That right and wrong exist and that God defines what is right and wrong. That the world is a messed up place because human beings have turned their backs on God and tried to go our own way. And when we go our own way without our creator, we make a mess of absolutely everything. But this story goes on to say that there is hope for us because God has not abandoned us. That God sent his only son into the world to die for us in order to we might be reconciled to God. That we might then discover what it truly means to be human and the great hope that one day Jesus will return He'll make all things right, and human beings will dwell with God forever. In a nutshell, that is the Judeo-Christian story. And generally speaking, this was the story that most people in the Western world would have understood and most would have adhered to. And as a result, people kind of woke up. They knew where they came from. They knew why they were here. Then, Even if they didn't always follow the right and wrongs that they knew, they could define more what was right and wrong. It shaped their sense of purpose. Even those who didn't believe in the Christian story, generally speaking, viewed Christianity as an influence for good within society. Even me, I am literally the last of the generation. When I was in grade one, we read the Bible and we prayed together in class. And after grade one, that all ended. So I am literally the last of the generations who can remember when this was so common within culture, excuse me, 
that, that we even did it in a public school system where you'd see the Ten Commandments on the courts of the law court, uh, on the walls of the law court. But in case you haven't noticed, things have changed drastically. Things have drastically changed. On the general whole now, again speaking very generally, the Western world has rejected the Christian story as the true story of this giant story that we find ourselves in. Generally speaking, the Christian story is now viewed as just one story amongst many possible stories to explain why we're here, where we came from, how we should live, and all these big questions. Again, still within the context of Peter's letter, this is exactly the world that Peter wrote into. A world where the Christian story was just one story amongst many stories. And just like in Peter's day, now there are many differing reactions to the Christian story, and many of them mirror what happened in Peter's era. So some people today are, of course, fine with Christians continuing to believe their story. Go ahead, as long as it remains private and doesn't come into any of the political issues of our day. Increasingly, again, just like say over my lifetime, people are beginning to view Christianity as not just something that is not true, but as something that is even dangerous to society. I never heard this when I was younger, maybe an odd person, but increasingly within our culture today, the Christian story is being viewed as dangerous or even oppressive to the good of our wider Canadian and Western world. And then what is so distressing to some of us, most of us who are Christians, is that when you ask people, what, is the Christ- what do you think the Christian story is? The version that they give back to you is so twisted and distorted from what Christianity actually is that you're not even sure where to start again. The result is that there is a tremendous amount of misunderstanding about what the Christian story actually is, and then with this distorted view of what the Christian message actually is, it's viewed as odd, as crazy, and even as dangerous. But lest Christians get all worried and, I don't know, too stressed out about this, the one thing that should really encourage those of you who are believers is that this is not the first time we have found ourselves in this position. When Peter wrote this letter to these early Christians, he was writing into a culture that is actually much further down the road than we presently are with our Canadian culture. Here's what I mean by that. Peter wrote into a pluralistic culture where the Christian story was just one story amongst the many stories, but it was most certainly the minority story. Many people had not even heard about it yet. Not only that, those who heard the Christian story did view it as odd, as crazy, and many people viewed it as a, as a uh, what do you want to call as, a, as dangerous upon the culture of its day so that it must be suppressed even through violence. So as you heard this text, the whole context of it is suffering for doing what is good. So suffering was beginning to come to the early Christians now, and the government eventually within a generation or so of the time that Peter wrote this began to violently suppress the Christian story and the Christians. Some even were killed, including the author of the words we're about to read. Peter himself murdered 
for his belief in the Christian story because the Christian story in those early days was for some people odd, was for some people crazy, and for some people it was dangerous and it must be suppressed even through violence. There is a scholar named Larry Hurtado. He's a historian who specializes in the early Christian history. He describes the early church's place within culture. So just listen to this and the parallels even a bit with our own. Early Christianity of the first three centuries was a different, even distinctive kind of religious movement in the cafeteria of religious options of the time. In the eyes of many in the Roman era, Christianity was very odd, even objectionably so. Even among those who took the time to acquaint themselves more accurately with Christian beliefs, practices, and texts, that is the Bible, the response was often intensely negative. So Peter's writing into a context much similar to ours, but actually farther down the road, moving even towards violence against Christians. That's the world that Peter is writing these words into. So as we're about to look at them in a moment, this should be speaking clearly to us and showing us the need for a series like this and how we as Christians should be living in an era like this. So in a few moments, I do want to look at what Peter has to say, but right now I want to take this just one step further, still reflecting on our culture at large and how we got to where we're at today to show the need for a series like this. So far, I've said we're all part of a giant story. I've said that the Western culture has generally believed that the Bible explains this larger story, but of course that most people no longer believe they have rejected the Christian story as the true story of the universe. That's by and large true. But here's the next thing and the last thing I want to say before we actually look at the text. We are at a unique moment in time. We are almost what we might call at the time between the times. That is to say that the Christian story that our culture has largely believed for so long has now been rejected, but it has not yet been been replaced by another story. There's not one story That our entire culture, all the Western world, for instance, is now embraced as opposite to Christianity. It's growing, and there's lots of versions, there's lots of mini-versions, but we're kind of in a time between the times where a lot of people know we've rejected the Christian story by and large, but we're not all sure exactly what the story of the universe is anymore. In many ways, here's the key point, people continue to live with many of the exact values that the Christian story has infused into Western culture over the last hundred, a couple hundred years and millennia. In other words, one guy puts it like this, we want the kingdom, but we don't want the king. In other words, we want the kingdom of Jesus and all the, a lot of the values that come with it, but we've rejected the king. We don't want that side of it all as a culture. So here's where, just to explain all this and illustrate it, I've been reading an incredible book. It's by an award-winning historian of the ancient world named Tom Holland. For those of you younger, not the Tom Holland who plays Spider-Man. Okay, so if you, just no confusion there. A different Tom Holland. Uh, here's what the book is entitled. It's called Dominion, How the Christian Revolution Remade the World. So he's not a Christian. He is, he's a historian of the ancient world. And what he's writing here, after all his years of research and understanding as a historian, he's writing a book to show how the Western world and all our values, the way our society has been built, was built upon a revolution that happened 2,000 
2,000 years ago with the introduction of Christianity into the world. And the Christianity completely changed the values that the Greeks had, that the Romans had, completely changed them and shaped the, uh, shaped the world as we know it today. So he talks about, for instance, he goes through kind of the history of the Christian church, and trust me, he's not a friend of Christianity. Well, He's honest. He is a friend of Christianity in some ways, but he, he puts the warts out there. Christians, you've not always practiced what you believed, and it's fair. He's honest. He shows warts and all. But on the flip side, he also shows how the values that you hold today that we cherish so much in Western society, how they came directly into our culture from the Christian story, and they can't really survive without the Christian story. So he's asking, how as a society, when we live in the time between times, how are we going to build into the future when we're rejecting the very values that have built us and have shaped us over the last millennia or two? Holland is actually arguing the same thing as the famous atheist Friedrich Nietzsche did. Nietzsche is in the 1800s. But he had some profound things to say because he saw the people of his day rejecting God, rejecting the Christian story, and, and yet he would also say they wanted to retain many of the Christian beliefs and values. He pointed out that they still believed in things like human rights, in the dignity of every single human being, in the value of caring for the poor and the weak, of advocating for all people, regardless of uh, whether they have uh, physical issues, mental issues, all people should be advocated for. He said, you still believe in love as the highest value. You still say we should forgive people. You still believe in absolute categories of good and evil, that some things are morally right, some things are morally wrong, and we need to move towards that which is right. He pointed out that the people of his day, you still want to speak up for the powerless and to advocate for them. But, Nietzsche said, and Tom Holland agrees, all of those ideas come out of the Christian story. And as an atheist, he's saying, how do we continue to hold those kind of values if we reject the Christian story, there is no reason for us to continue. There's no reason for anybody to continue to hold those values if we reject the Christian story because all of those values come directly out of the Christian story. They're not found in the ancient cultures. They're not found even in the Eastern cultures or the, the Greeks and the Romans. They did not share those values. So this is where Tom Holland's book is so helpful. Because we just kind of think, oh, this is the way people have always been, or this, this is just normal. This is the way you should treat people. Really? The Greeks and Romans didn't think so. Many of the Eastern cultures, even up to this day, do not share your ideas that all people are created equal. Go to India. Learn about the caste system. Are all people equal? Not in every culture. The story of the universe that that culture believes shapes their beliefs and their values. So, for instance, Tom Holland shows how the, uh, the older European nations before they were Christianized, the Anglo-Saxons, the Franks, the Germans, when it came to this issue of caring for the poor and the weak, they thought that was ridiculous. That is not how you build a society. So we hold that as a really important value. 
But that's because you have grown up with the heritage of the Christian story. The idea of caring for the poor and the weak came out of the Christian story that says God, who has all power, used his power to help the weak. That Jesus, who is powerful, made himself weak in order to rescue those who are weak, and we ought to go out and do the same. Direct connection from the story of Christianity to how we live. But Nietzsche said that if we're going to get rid of the Christian story and believe there's no God, then why should anyone continue to hold these values? You might say, well, we just should. Nietzsche would say, why? Because human beings matter. Okay, why do they matter? We'll get into this one in a few weeks, so I'm not going to get too deeply into it. But you ponder on it. What Nietzsche's saying is if the true story of the universe is that we're only here by chance, if the human beings only came about by the survival of the fittest, then why should anyone really care for the weak and the powerless? Why wouldn't you build your society to get yourself ahead, to get your tribe ahead? And if you have to press down a few people, oh well, only the strong survive. Why should we go against that most basic instinct if that is the story of the universe? That's where Nietzsche's going to press you. There is no moral law, Nietzsche would say. There is no God to whom you're accountable. There is no final judgment where you will give an account for how you have pushed down the weak and the powerless. And if none of that is there, why should people care for the weak and the powerless? He's going to press you. Let me give you one other example. I trust that we all, (coughs) excuse me, we all here believe that when it comes to our bodies, we all have the rights over our bodies in the sense that no one is allowed to do any sort of sexual activity to you or against you that is not consensual. Do we believe that? I hope we do. We are part of this, this Me Too movement, and the Me Too movement, of course, is about men who have abused their, their power and have done things sexually to women. And so this whole movement is about you can't do that. And I trust that we all agree that you cannot do that. But why? Throughout the history of the world, not every culture believed that. Not every culture believes that today. For instance, if you want to go back to the Roman times, with time of Christ, if you're a Roman and you have a female slave, the female slave is your property. You can do what you want to your property. There is no such thing as a Me Too movement. So where has that come from? It's come again through the history of the Christian story in our society. For the Christian story says, a woman is made in the image of God. And she is made that way exactly like a man, that a man is not greater than a woman, for both are created in the image of God, and therefore a woman must be treated with respect. A woman must be treated with value. She is not lesser than a man, as many cultural stories will teach. The man is not over her and that he is allowed to use his power to dominate over her. But that is the direct result of the Christian story, which says there's a God, you're accountable to him, he made human beings, here's how he made them, and you must, men, treat a woman with respect because she is an image bearer. You see how it flows perfectly. It's all perfectly logical, and you'll give an account one day if you do anything that goes against that. But if that's not the story of the universe, why should a man treat a woman with respect? And of course, you're going to say, because he has to. And Nietzsche's going to say, okay, good, I'm with you, 
But why? What rationale can you give beyond just, I like it that way. That's my preference. So we'll talk about things like that as well. So we're in a unique moment in history. As a society, we're not quite sure what the future is. We, as a society, know what we've rejected, the, kind of, the Christian story. But we're in this time between times where we're trying to figure things out. We're trying to figure out what is this giant story that we find ourselves in. Unfortunately, the Christian story has become so distorted and so twisted a lot of times in people's minds that it seems to me that we're basically at a time where we need to represent the Christian story. So that's part of my motivation for this story or for this series is to represent it and to represent it from the beginning with its most basic values, its most basic building blocks in order to build up so we'll have an accurate understanding of what this, this Christian story is actually saying. So my aim in this series is to do exactly that, to represent the Christian story, to compare and to contrast it with the other stories that people believe today and just laying my cards right on the table to say to you, I think the Christian story is the true story that makes the best sense of this giant story that we find ourselves in. So this is an introduction. That's a lot of kind of the cultural stuff. Now I hope we're ready to come and look at Peter's words. In the final place, now let's talk about this, the story that makes sense of our stories. What does Peter say Christians should do when they live in a culture that finds the Christian story to be odd, to be wrong, or even to be dangerous so that it should be suppressed through violence. What does Peter say Christians should do? Well, I think he tells us what to do and how to do it. So let's dig into the text now. First of all, what are we to do? In the first place, Peter says, tell a better story. And here's what, I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that. But if you are a Christian, you find yourself within this kind of culture, as Peter does, and which ours is largely the same. What are we to do? We're to tell a better story. Peter is saying that as culture will become more antagonistic toward the Christian story, Christians might be thinking, uh, we just need to be quiet. We should never say anything about what we believe anymore. And Peter is saying, no, no, no. You, you, you still need to speak. Notice the language uh, that he's giving here. Look with me at verse 15. He says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So you are to be prepared so that you can speak, right? This is all, all speaking language here. When people are talking about Christianity, when they're accusing you of something or if they're misunderstanding it, Christians are always at all times to be prepared to be able to talk, to tell, retell the Christian story, to represent it, to help clear up confusion, to help clear up things that maybe people misunderstand about it. Now this word defense, always being prepared to make a defense, that word has the, the connotation of reply to an accusation. So you're within a culture where accusations are coming against the Christian story or against the Christians who are believing it. You're to be prepared to be able to make a reply in such a moment. And that is exactly what this whole series really is my attempt to do, to try to make a reply, to make a defense. So if you're kind of checking out Christianity, this is the perfect time to be joining us for a series because we're going to go through a bunch of the kind of foundational worldview issues that Christianity teaches, telling this giant story, and hopefully clear up a whole bunch of distortions that people may have about what it actually teaches. 
and what is it that we are to talk about. When we make a reply, when there are accusations, what is it that we are to talk about? Well, it's all in this little word right here. Give a reason for the hope that is in you. That little word hope is really all about story, isn't it? What is hope? Hope is that there's something that's bad now, but there's going to be a resolution in the future which gives you hope. Hope is a future thing, isn't it? It assumes something is wrong in the present, but it's going to be fixed in the future. Isn't that what every single story is? I mean, listen, a story is not, I was walking down the road yesterday. That might be the start of a story. That's not a story. If I just ended there, you'd be like, okay. And a story always has a conflict in it. I was walking down the road, and unfortunately, a car came around the corner, and it clipped my arm, and it broke my, my arm, and I had to go to the hospital, and that, now we're getting into a story. Okay, what happens? There's a conflict, and the driver got out, and he started yelling at me, and he said he was going to sue me, and now, now we're into a story, right? Hope, then, is, is there a good result at the end of all that? Does the conflict get resolved? Every good story has a giant conflict, and it's moving towards a resolution, This is the story of Christianity. It's all within that word hope. That word hope assumes there's something wrong with the world. We'll get into that too. There's something drastically wrong with the world. There's something wrong with each of us. But there is hope. There's hope that the conflict can be resolved, that something can happen in the future to make all the wrongs right. And the Christian story offers hope like no other. That's why I say... Peter's calling us to tell a better story. And I'm just laying all my cards on the table here. What I hope to show you in this series is that the Christian story, in comparison to all the others, is a far better story. It's not just that it's a true story. It's a better story. It's a story that will meet all your deepest longings, answer all your deepest questions, and in the end gives you the resolution that we are all wanting and that we all yearn for. It's the best of all the stories, not just because it's true, it is, but because it enables us to make sense of life, to get through life, and to bring us into a new world where we dwell with our Creator forever. So that's what I want to do in this whole series is to compare and to contrast all the stories that people believe on very specific subjects like human rights and show that not only is the Christian story the one that makes the best sense of these topics, but it's also the better story. You should want to believe it, not just because it's true, but because it is good. So Peter tells us what to do. Tell a better story about hope. Tell about how this Christian story gives us hope in the midst of all this. And he also tells us how we are to tell this story. So how are we to do it? We are to do it with gentleness and respect. Here's what he says after the verse we just read. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, Peter pauses, knowing the cultural situation he's writing into, yet do it with gentleness and respect. To my Christian friends, my Christian brothers and sisters, there are few phrases I think we need to hear more in our present cultural moment than this one. We are becoming more and more polarized 
And yes, the world is rejected by and large the Judeo-Christian story. And yes, it seems there is greater opposition to the Christian story. And it seems we're continuing to go that way. And of course, some people even viewing the Christian story as dangerous. But the reaction of some people, some Christians, is to think that if the world is going to fight, then we need to fight. And so when I see some of these social media posts out there, they're so filled with anger. They're so combative. They're such fight, fight, fight. If you're going to fight, we're going to fight. What does Peter say? Oh, yes, you must speak. Oh, yes, you should reason. Yes, you should talk. Yes, show them a better story. Yet, Peter says, make sure you do it with gentleness and respect. Gentleness, does that mark the social media posts of Christians today? Does that mark all of the broad public statements that Christians make today? Respect, do we do it in a way that we're never putting down people? We're never insulting people. We're never saying, well, you're, that's just a stupid view that you hold to, and we're never falling. Do we do it with respect? Again, no, He's not saying you should never speak the truth. He already said that. Don't misunderstand me. Some, some people, when I talk like this, are like, well, you're just soft. That's what you are. You're soft. So Peter's not soft. Peter eventually gets crucified upside down for his belief in Christ. Is that soft? Who, who here has done that? Oh, make a social media post. Ooh, that's a lot of standing up and being strong. I'm, I'm playing with you. Get crucified upside down, then your words will have some power. This is what Peter is saying. He's saying, speak, yes, speak. But the way that you speak must be marked with gentleness and with respect. Even for those, remember the context, who are making you suffer for doing good, who are coming after your very lives. That's the time you think, now's the time I fight. Now's the time I yell and scream and rage. Not according to Peter. Now's the time to do it with gentleness and respect. So that's what I want to do in this series as well. We are going to compare, we're going to contrast different stories that people in our culture believe today. And I make no apology for saying that I'm going to be arguing that Christian story is the true story, and that it is good, and that you should embrace it, but we're going to aim to do it with gentleness and respect. We're going to aim to do it in a way that would never insult people, that would never rage back against those who may disagree. We're going to engage people in their views accurately and do it with respect. So how are, we going to go, how are we going to go about this? How are we going to go about retelling the Christian story? Well, I don't think there's any better way to do it than to go back to the beginning of the Christian story. We're going to, what we're going to do is go through Genesis chapters 1 to 3 because Genesis 1 to 3 provide all the foundational pieces to the story. If you lose Genesis 1 to 3 in the Bible, man, have you lost a lot. I'm not even sure you can really make sense of it, actually. Genesis 1 to 3 provide all these. So we're not going to do a strict exposition as in every single verse, digging it in detail. We won't have time to do that. But what I'm going to do is go through and hit some of the big story pieces in Genesis chapters 1 to 3. And we'll ask and answer questions like, where did we come from? Why are we here? Are we alone in the universe? What does it mean to be human? Uh, are humans significant? How should we treat one another? What about this issue of human rights? How do we decide what is right and wrong? What is wrong with the world anyways? Where does all this evil and suffering even come from? And since it's all here, is there any hope that we can heal this world? And if there is any hope, who will do the fixing? 
And when will this happen? And how can this happen? So questions like that is what we plan on tackling together. And I hope to show you that the Christian story is the one that makes the best sense of all of our stories. Because the Christian story says, you don't have to try and make up a story to make sense of the universe. You don't have to do that. God has written you into the greatest story ever told. This is what the Christian story is going to say. God has written you as a character into the greatest story ever told. He is the author of that story. And this story is the greatest story you've ever heard. That this story, like all the other stories that you listen to, whenever you listen to a story or watch a story in a movie or whatever, and there's goodness in it or there's conflict in it, all these stories are echoes of this giant story that God is telling. Even when you watch a Marvel superhero movie, you're watching themes of good and evil, You are watching themes of the great characters. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it by now, too bad. The great characters like Iron Man, the core characters dying, giving their lives on behalf of everybody else in order that good may triumph over evil. Boy, what's that an echo of? Let's think about that one. At the center of the Christian story is the greatest hero who ever came into the world, Jesus, the Son of God who gives up his power, makes himself weak in order that he might rescue us from the enemies whom we could never defeat ourselves and to bring us into a happily ever after. That's the great Christian story. That's the one that we're going to look at. So I want to invite you to join us over the next few months as we walk through the beginning of this story in Genesis 1 to 3. This is the story that will help you to make sense of the big questions of life. This is the story that will answer your deepest longings. This is the story that makes sense of all stories. Let's pray. Father, even as we begin just introducing this whole series today, we thank you that you have written us into your story. It is astounding when we stand back and just to realize what are even the odds that we are here that we exist, that I exist at all. An example of your grace and of your purposes. And right now we even just begin this series by saying you are our creator who made us. Thank you for writing us into this great story. Thank you for revealing yourself. Thank you for teaching us to understand these things through your word. Thank you for sending your son to teach us all the things we really need to understand and for rescuing us through his life and his death and his resurrection. I pray for this whole series that you would engage our hearts and our minds, that you show us the truth of your great story, who you are, of what you have done and what you will do. So, Father, we dedicate these next 12 or 13 weeks until Easter to you, praying that you would meet with us and help us to encounter you, the author of the greatest story ever told. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and gatherings, visit us at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Podcast.